I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Tanisha from Croydon and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question for Dane and Howard is what song always makes you dance? For me, it's Chakademus and Plyer's Murder, She Wrote. Guaranteed, anytime you hear that song, you'll see me dancing. Anyway, enough from me. Here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste, and my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello. And a mix of very special guests post questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from... Uh, everything from our question from uh, Teresha in Croydon, who asked, what song always makes us dance? Dane, what song always makes you dance? There's a lot of songs that always make me dance, but I think one that definitely always gets me going. Roses are Red by the Mac Band. Oh, nice. I'm going to go for Disco Inferno uh, by The Tramps. Um, that, that, that beat is hot. But do you just, are you one of these people that starts with the beginning of that well-known course and you're like, yeah, I've had enough now. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Anyway, we ask all the questions, including questions from our lovely listeners. And if you like the show, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's largest podcast network. Speaking of large and in charge, our guest today is a British comedian, actor and writer. She was the winner of Best Club Comic at the 2019 Chortle Awards. She also had three sell-out runs at the Edinburgh Festival. I was there for one of them. It was great. Her show, Keeping It Classy, was recorded for Life at the BBC, which is available on Netflix. On TV, she has appeared on Live on the Apollo, Mock the Week, Roast Battle, Hypothetical, Jonathan Ross, House of Games and Harry Hill's Club Night, to name a few. She also has a new podcast of her own, which she'll tell us all about on this particular episode. Ladies and gentlemen, please proudly welcome to the show, Ms. Susie Raffle. Hello, mate. Hi, Dane. Hi, Howard. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Well, I mean, I mean, the world's on fire and everything's everything feels uh, awful in some respects, but yeah. I'm okay. Terrible, isn't it? Um, Terrible, awful okay. planet. Still no. doing that working class thing of playing down all those plaudits. Yeah, well, my name's just Susie, whatever. <laughs> it happens. I got to there, didn't I? Got out of bed, <laughs> whatever. Three sell out runs. You got, got to put food on the table, didn't you, Susie? I did, mate, I did. I put food on the table for, for me and the cat. She sits at the table. All it's, I was um, Susie, you climb out Everest, just feed him a cat. Do you know what I mean? Just, what just, you doing, do. just doing what I can. What's the cat called, Susie? It's called Velma Kelly because I'm a big fan of musical theatre and that's the main character in Chicago. Oh. It's a good name for a cat. Uh, does it cat. kill? Does it does it kill things? Have you? Oh, uh, like birds and things. Mm. No, she's a house cat. And right. I, tr- I take it when I had a garden, I live in a flat now with a balcony. She occasionally goes on the balcony. But I lived in a flat once I had a garden and she was like, the outside is not for her. It rained and she was, oh, wow. I mean, she got her paws wet. And was just, she's just, <laughs> basically, <laughs> I think that you get the pet you deserve. Right. And what I've got is a very high maintenance cat. <laughs> and I think that is quite telling. I just wanted to shout out to my cat. Obviously, it's not a listener of the podcast, oh, but um, <laughs> it has killed four times this week. Four times. Two birds, two mice. Well done, Prim. Um, that is horrible. Does she bring them in for you? Oh, very much. Wakes me up at four in the morning, Susie. And I've got a newborn baby. So what? Oh, congratulations. What, thank you. What, what a brilliant time in my life to be dealing with half-dead animals. Um, I mean, it sounds like... Sounds like the cat's stepping up the murders, just to let you know there's a new mouth to feed. Here's some, here's some extra meat. Just letting you know, since you can't take care of this family, Howard, I'll do it. Alpha some cat. Cats. It's an alpha cat move, right? Here's some cats. Enjoy here's your vermin. Here's some bird. Here's some mice. Because I'm keeping this family together. Feed the new mouths. The, cat. The, the, the question we were asked, Susie, what's the song that makes you dance uh, always? Um, I would say one of my favourite songs and one that I always have in my... Um, my house music when I'm on tour, because you've got to choose stuff that you're not going to get sick of because you hear it all the time. Mm, so true. Is Diana Ross's I'm Coming Out. I absolutely love that song. Oh, love and it really reminds me of like my mum dancing in the house. So it's always a fave. 
is a lovely song. It's a banger. It is a banger, Susie. And there's also a very obvious joke in there. I'm not going to touch. Sure, so, we've all made it. We've all thought it. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> well, Dane collapses in laughter back there. Um, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? It definitely, most definitely is. Uh, first of all, can't thank you enough, Susie, for being a guest on the show. Uh, as I said to you, I have listened to the podcast before and it's always a pleasure when you get invited onto a show that you know is really good. Oh, I thought because I was... we all know we sometimes do shows we've never heard before. Oh, of course we have. It's like that thing I did. Remember that time, Howard, what's his face? Oh, yeah, no, that was great. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> we retweeted yeah. that, didn't we? We retweeted yeah. that, I think. That with the hair. He's got the thing with the whole... Yeah, anyway. Um, so, well, it, uh, it's even more flattering and humbling to know you listen to the show uh, so you are aware of the format as our esteemed guest we invite you to ask a question any question whatever question you want which we'll discuss for about 15 minutes and some change then Howard will ask a question as well we will do the same and then I will finally ask uh, one more question which, and uh, yeah love the rinse and repeat then everybody go home and have a nice time so I wanted to know what you guys think about this do you think that football is a force of good or bad now, I'm someone that grew up in a... My, my dad's not into football, but my uncles very much are. Dad couldn't care less about footy. Uncles are really into it. I played a lot as a teenager. Lots of my friends are really into football. But it does seem like... Like, I've, I've got a lot of gigs home after football matches. Then it's the same for you, Dane. But you're on that train, you're by yourself, you pull up at a station and you see a load of football fans getting on. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, great, I'm in the carriage for the wankers there's been a wanker convention they've all been at the wanker convention and now i've got to sit with all the wankers we're yeah. allowed to swear on this right because otherwise absolutely that's right now wrong. you've got a first class ticket on the wank express <laughs> so and i mean certainly after you know stuff that's happened this in the last couple of weeks what happened at the game this week when uh the players took a knee and then what some people's response to that was on social media i just don't know whether we should cancel football and then really upset those guys <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. It's a brave statement. Great question. It's a great question. Controversial suggestions. Controversial suggestions. The thing about football that I think is, because we will criticise it for a bit, okay, but but to say something positive first, I think is is worth pointing out, which is what actually you flagged up about playing it, Susie, which is is playing football. And I know, Dane, you've talked about playing football before on the show with Mo and stuff like Playing football is a beautiful thing, right? Like as a as a kind of thing that brings people together. If if you if you removed the the kind of rampant kind of anger that comes with <laughs> with so much of football, playing it's a beautiful it's, thing. Football, football culture is the issue rather than the sport itself. I think, mm. and uh, I guess it's because historically the sensationalism of football because it wasn't really that much of a thing until Rupert Murdoch started putting football on TV, and so he kind of broadened the whole thing for people like. Like my pet, like so, my dad's from the West Indies, so he likes football but doesn't really care that much. So he was never going to be the dad that's going to be shouting on the sidelines, and also because he grew up in a place where cricket is the you know, prevalent mm-hmm. sport. So I didn't really grow up in a football home, and I didn't really care about. It. And also, grew up in the eighties. It was kind of around the time where the people started talking about the issue of hooliganism and racism on the terraces. So I was kind of like, my dad doesn't really care about it. Doesn't really look particularly fun. And I was just kind of like, well, even if you earn this much money a week, but if someone can still throw a banana at you, it doesn't really seem that liberating as a sport because growing up, like football was definitely considered one of the only avenues to transcend your situation in South East London. Yeah, so guys would be like, oh, I know a footballer or my friend's a footballer. And this was kind of everyone's ticket of, you know, social mm, mobility. A way out, yeah. Is, way, way yeah, which is harsh out. because like 0.03% of becoming a football professional footballer mm. for everyone that plays. But um yeah, so I just kind of was never really that much into it until I started going to youth club when I was like maybe 14 and then started playing with guys. And, I kinda, and even then I got into it, but I've never really been into football culture whereby I can have like long heated arguments with people about over like archival sh- games and footage and who scored which goal and what's referred to as being a stats man. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just think, and I think football then after it became sensationalized was definitely a gift was gifted to like for working class, it's seen as more of a working class sport. And that's because, you know, 30 people can play with one football, whereas you can't really do that without, you can't do hockey without the sticks or the pucks. Hmm. So I always say that it's like with, with these sports that don't require equipment are normally given as nice, even nice pastimes or distractions to the working class. And I think that's kind of where the problem stems from, whereby there's a lot of, I guess there's more, there's social attitudes that exist outside of football as an industry and as a culture that kind of permeate into it. 
And I think that's more of the issue rather than the sport itself. Because I think football, because it's so, for example, so male-focused, even though there is women's football, it's so male-focused that there's this weird, toxically masculine entitlement to it. Like, if I'm watching a football, I don't have to listen to my wife and she can't interrupt me when I'm... It's like, well, I don't see how that fucking works myself, but... The real question that you, you is it a force for good and a force for bad? And, and obviously it's, it's, it's both. Um, but but the, the force for good in your life, Susie, you kind of mentioned, but then like you say, to experience it, the, the, the force for bad that it is, it's just disgusting, isn't it? it With the racism, the homophobia. I mean, yeah. it's what you were saying, Dane, is about um, it being like a, a man's sport and there being, you know, like yeah. it being sort of, there are female players and female teams quite interestingly back in the 1920s women's football was massive there was a footballer called lily parr who was this sort of kind of out lesbian and in as much as you could be out in those days trousers yeah exactly and so so um, and everyone was like whoa yeah everyone's like whoa she is she's progressive yeah (laughs) um but and, and it used to get um, her games would get as, as as much as the men's games in those days. Yep. Um, but I think that, I mean, as as Dane, as you were saying about like you know the racism that even players on the pitch receive, also the fact that it seems that so few footballers can come out. I mean, no. minuscule numbers come out, and there must no. be more gay footballers. They've got to be. Just I mean, like, it has to be. You know, to be honest with you, just just the dedication required to even progress from a YTS to becoming a professional footballer, it's very rare that you can see straight men can even keep that focus. Because for most <laughs> young men, if you think that most footballers get into football around their adolescence, as soon as the distraction of women comes along, like, trust me, from personal experience, the amount of people's <laughs> careers that have fallen by the wayside because like... Oh, football's famous. Football's famous for that day. And there's so many yeah. examples of these kids People that, that by the are, are, you know, are thought to going to be stars and, and, and then they realise they might actually enjoy their life instead. Um, exactly. It's, so, it's such a weird thing, like I said, Susan, that does, uh, you know, women's football was, was as big, which not is not surprising at all. But I think, yeah, because as football became more as a tool of distraction and, you know, for, I guess, a kind of a, a pseudo culture for working class men, that's how women end up kind of getting maybe pushed out of it and they're not being seen as, as, as lucrative and stuff. But, um, yeah. yeah. But I, I thought about this, that, you know, that, that this week because I bought my uh, son uh, a Arsenal... Um, little sleep suit. It's his first game with <laughs> Arsenal. Um, and I realised it's quite a big decision that I've just made there, which is basically indoctrinating him into a cult uh, that I'm very much part of. Um, and, and and I thought, oh, OK, what's the problems here? What if he doesn't, you know, what are the issues that this might, uh, uh, you know, create in his life? Other than the fact that, you know, Arsenal are quite shit at times. Um, it, but the biggest problem he faces is, it is true day, unfortunately. But um, no, I mean, it's not, I'm not even bothering anymore. I'm not even bothering anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, sorry. But the the thing that it made me think about was was the what I witnessed at games. So the idea in, in how many years that I take my son to watch an Arsenal game and, and what you witness around that fun thing. Because I tell you what, I, I may seem like a, a, a calm guy to many people, but when Arsenal score a goal in a game and it's exciting, I lose my shit. And that, I don't know if you score a goal, Susie, or you sport, you know, Dane's sport team or whatever it is, when you lose a, that moment and that excitement of, of a goal or a win, it's incredible. But that has been turned into a toxic bullshit that creates people chanting horrible shit at each other. I always go to Arsenal games and think, why are you singing about Tottenham? They're not even here. Like, what's the point of this? That, that's the thing that I really hate. This, like, sort of, I mean, it is toxic masculinity, and it's it's so interesting when the you see these guys that maybe like you know wouldn't cry if their wife left them. Yeah. But they they can sort of engage with emotion in in sport, and I think that makes me think that it, it that it's a bit sad that that's sort of how they feel. But I also I find it so strange, and I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I just, I think it's so strange when people talk about being proud of being English. I find it so weird because, you know, like I'm, I'm like proud of my dad being a very, being born into a very poor family and then him doing really well for himself. I'm really proud that I've created a career that I love. Um, I'm really proud of uh, my friends that have done really well. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of people in my life. This idea of being proud because of some lottery from where I was born, I just find so strange. 
And I think it comes down to having, maybe having, and I'm sure people will hate this if they feel proud to be British. Um, I often find the men that are homophobic to me online are the ones that have proud to be British in their biogs and proud dad. Um, but it's, I, I just find it, I think that it's, I think that it's sad because I think you have nothing to do with that. And surely pride comes with See, hard the thing work. About, no, no, but that's the thing about pride. This is why it's one of seven deadly sins. It's a very good point you bring up because pride is when people derive self-esteem from something they can't control. And really t- people tend to confuse pride and self-esteem. So the right. thing about, so it's a really good point because the whole thing about how can you be proud to be English is because if you were to ask most people what other aspects of their life define them, they can't normally give you an answer. Now, for someone who's a performing artist who's doing what they want with their life, especially when you're doing it in a solitary capacity, like it gets even harder to understand why other people seek to derive their self-esteem via identity politics. But this is the thing you have to think about the complex of people that are on these terraces because when you see people chatting in unison and stuff, that low-frequency, higher-vibration drone is also the similar one that you see in churches. And so what tends to happen is that when you... That's why in church they sing the same hymns repeatedly, even though, like, hymn books, there's, like, thousands of hymns, but you sing the same ones repeatedly because when you're singing at a certain pitch with a certain tone, it allows for group things and people to be able to repeat it in unison so they're indoctrinated a lot easier. It's the same way... Also because Be Bold, Be Strong is an absolute banger. Of course it is. As is all coming all you pay for. You can't beat that motherfucker. Yeah, but you know it. It's just when you're somebody who like has no real other aspects to define your uh, self-worth by, then you're going to uh, gravitate towards a group identity a lot more, which is why people will do stuff like be like, oh, I'm proud to be English. No, I want to be a part of this team. Even though that team and their success is an independent variable to that person's life. So it's like whether or not Arsenal win the league or they don't win the league, I don't profit from it. But we are taught to, because we associate that success with ourselves, people take ownership of that. So anything that begins to challenge that state of pride makes people very uncomfortable. So as you said yourself, like people that tend to be homophobic are the same ones who are like proud to be British. And what that means though, that is that they really, in their head, and especially with the capitalist world, they don't really have any other aspects of their life that they feel can endear themselves or can give them spirit over somebody else. So then what they do is they conform. Oh, okay, well, I'm not a homosexual, so I'm more normal than you are. So then they derive self-esteem from that. Then it's like, oh, rather than accept the fact that, oh, this is a woman that's not attracted to me, which means now there's a pathology of women that aren't attracted to me. It's like, oh, it's because she's not, she's not normal. So then they rationalize that by being, you're abnormal. That's why you can't possibly be interested. Whereas I come from the normal, which is British and heterosexual. And this is just a large part of the dark side uh, of cultures in general. So even with the football thing, as I said, people take ownership of it and then it begins to become toxic because then it's like someone who feels emasculated maybe at work can go on these terraces now and then try and reclaim that in groups with everybody else. And especially if you are growing up and you and if you kind of in, have the intersection of that masculinity as well as white supremacy, it's like you are supposed to be born predisposed to be successful more than any other black man is. So when you're looking on a pitch, you're seeing someone has superior athletic prowess to you and is guaranteed to be earning more money than you, then again, it's like, well, then I can't be better than this person. So how can I get it back? So you start throwing bananas and then you start, you know, reveling in your privilege and supremacy because you're like, this is the only way I can feel superior to this person's on the pitch. And and the thing that, I mean, that, that anger, that, that release of anger is 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 what generates... I think so much of this kind of toxic culture around football, but it's, I, also, it's, mispla- it's misplaced because obviously football culture is is completely conflated with like pop culture as well. But also, it's a business. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, icon, and it is a business as well. It's, fu- it's ultimately business a business that is trying to you know to sustain itself, right? That's that's it's social conditioning as well because a football shirt, right, costs fifty pounds, whether it's a child's one or an adult one. You can't really get most lay people to buy a 50 pound T-shirt. But if you have the insignia, which means you're a part of this and that's why you can spend this money, then, you know, it becomes a massive money spend. It's like when Michael Owen signed for Stoke. He was never going to play a game, but he's a former England legend. Mm. And if you're a member of Stoke, it's like now this legend is associated with my club. You're going to buy the shirt even if he doesn't step onto a pitch. And it's all linked, as I said, with the pub culture. The reason why I said that is because it's like they say when you're in a pub, you can't discuss politics, you can't discuss religion. Even though these are two main things that govern human existence. Like Britain as a culture originates with church and state. That's why it's called ministry because of ministers. Now, if you're not discussing this in a pub and you're part of the the laity, why are we not talking about things that control our lives? Because if I'm a working class man in a pub and then I've got a small to medium enterprise, then the cost of insuring vehicles or the congestion charge goes up. That fucks me. But I can't discuss that with my friends 
because that means if we can discuss it and we don't come up with some kind of counter-revolution, we don't discuss anything. So all you have is a bunch of people that have this sense of lack of fulfillment and ennui in every other aspect of their life that they can't express it because it's not seen to be done. Working class people aren't supposed to talk about like the intricacies of politics and, so, and you know, sociology. So it's easier so just to call someone a wanker on a Saturday afternoon. There you go. So then you can just go to the thing and then I can have this catharsis of anger and frustration and emasculation and comparison that I constantly make in the, in the, in the, in the world. And it's like, ah, oh, you footballers, you're so stupid. You're so stupid. It's like, this is all people have left. It's like people are like footballers are dumb. Mm. But they earn 60 grand a week. But it's like, but you go to on a desk and you earn, you won't even earn that in a year. And then at the end of your working life, you may not even be able to afford a pension or a home. There's now people involved in football who was never that involved in the culture, may have never played football, wouldn't know how to kick a football. But because they can watch it on TV, they now have the privilege and they can sit there and be like, hey, shit, I can do better than that. Because yeah. essentially now you've had this whole industry where people are now paying a mortgage on their television just so they can watch sport all the time. And it doesn't show. And then not only that, then you take into account the gaming industry. Well, that's another reason why football is so big as well is because... Well, it's why people get so angry and, fu- and frustrated about it, right? Because they bet on the games every week. And if you bet on a game and you lose 20 quid... Gambling's getting people to be angry. In the same way football gets you angry about people you don't even know, or you're defending people that you've never even met, like gambling gets you angry about money you never had in the first place. Yeah. So all of these, I think... However, it is worth pointing out that football ha- does have some <laughs> positive elements, obviously. No, but yeah, but, that, but we're talking about the industry of football yeah, or the yeah. cultural football. But football was a game... Yeah, it's a great way of like, especially, you know, it definitely like I said, it help, it's helped people to transcend their situation if they have um, come from more humble beginnings. You know, it allows people who under normal circumstances wouldn't be able to travel the world to be able Also, to- it looks like if, people, if you've got two amazing teams playing, because it's and that's what people enjoy about most sports is like really when we look at most sports what probably drives most human beings to it is that it's people performing feats of human strength and achievement and we're all going to be impressed by that you know there's parts of our brain i think even instinctively or even physiologically where like in the same way that like when peacocks show their feathers if someone can show their kinesthetics and they're talented with something or they got a good first touch that means a lot for people but like yeah football was just it's so ingrained that it's like a part of everyone's dream in the same way that like you know classic young, like, heterosexual the girls may dream of being princesses when they're older and having the whole, you know, white wedding and the, like, a lot of men, that's that's a dream for themselves, to be a footballer and get all the plaudits that come with that. So much so that they even, like, I grew up with a lot of people who they were just trying to live vicariously through their own kids and start football teams and have their kids playing for the team and their kid is shit. But he's still in the first team because it's their kid. And then, you know, you get all of that nepotism and stuff. Like, there are people that have gotten well and done well in football because their mum was shagging the kit man. Like, but that's with any kind of industry. Like that's nepotism. not how I got into the team. I just want that off the record. Truly <laughs> noted. But you know, I, I think I think football is good. But I think any time uh, culture is built around these things, especially a culture which has commercial interest, there's always going to have issues and stuff. It's like, you know, women's football was marginalised for so many years until people realised, like through the internet, that women watch and play football and are avidly interested mm. in it now. And, and the English team are really good. <laughs> and so stuff. Arsenal really team, they've all yeah, got left, Susie. The Arsenal team are amazing. Also, I met uh, I met Chelsea Grimes, right? And she mm. plays for Liverpool and Chelsea, yeah? And she sings and raps. Mm. There's like nothing she can't do. She is so attractive. And not only that, I can also talk to her about other attractive women, respectfully, of course. I mean, you don't get a better person than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, They're on the show. <laughs> Um, we, we will, we will. Started, she also started her own podcast, so... We will get, get her on, on the show. But the, like I said, there's nothing she can't do. Now she's doing her own podcast. <laughs> so I have nothing but uh, time for uh, uh, women footballers. And, and, and if we can get any... Any, Luca, if you're listening to this, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, fuck, yeah. We swear. But the, um, uh, the, I just think it's, yeah. The people, the, listen, people who like football listening to this show, we, we do like football and we like the you like football. Just fucking calm down a bit, basically, is really, I think, a big part of it. Like, and I think we're not talking about a lot of football. Like, we're not talking about most people, are we? I unfortunately talking. think that there is a massive amount of people, no, Dane, who, who on a, on, if I went to watch a football game at a pub with them... You listen to the way they talk about players. It's like, what the fuck? What is going on with you? My favourites are the ones that talk about the players that are like, you know, propped up at the bar in the worst shape I've ever seen anyone. Not just just in that day, not in that week, like ever. I've never seen someone looking so bad. He looks like he's allergic to the gym. Yeah, guys, and and then like a a, a sow, a pregnant sow will pass and be like, damn. It's... It's, and then they're there going, like, they're like shouting at the telly that someone's like a useless prick or something. And you're thinking, mate, go and see your kids. That's what you're thinking. 
Go and see your kids. Maybe go and finish the conservatory that you told Tracy you was going to start months ago. I think the perfect uh, answer to this question is go and see your kids. <laughs> <They're> right. like... <laughs> I, I think I don't think that uh, I don't think football's a problem. I think it's the football culture that's the yeah, problem. Yeah. And, uh, I think you're right. We shouldn't cancel it, but I think people need to know that it's not the be all and end all. And I also think, like, even like you know, with hope for some of these guys that are really aggressive that go and watch football, like, dudes, you're, you're more. You've got more in you. Yeah. Like, exactly. You've got more in you. You're better no, than this. There's much more stuff to do. I mean, you could probably use that energy to play some football of your own. and. Yeah, or like do something positive. Like, hmm. yeah. Exactly. Maybe go, if you care about it that much, you could be doing outreach to kids that are like uh, impoverished or, you know, and that's, and you know, there's, that's why football is really good. Football. Yeah, that's really true. Asylum seekers and kids and stuff and use <laughs> That always comes in handy. So it's mm. in the band, but we need to change football culture. Just letting you listeners know you can argue with me about Arsenal all you want. I don't care because Arsene Wenger isn't coming to my trial. Mikel Arteta isn't coming to my trial. So <laughs> I haven't got time to argue. <laughs> um, so it was, that's an amazing question, Susie. And I'm going to ask you guys a question that um, I feel quite privileged, actually, to be able to ask two comedians at the top of their game uh, like yourselves, which is, is, is a question based on a, on a massive thing right now, which is, which is how do we censor comedy? And... Um, I, I, I put it like that. I actually wrote it five different ways. And I actually even think the way I phrased that question would uh, be objective to, uh, would be objectional to, to, to some people because they don't think comedy should be censored at all. But Susie, as someone who, you know, I've seen you do such great stuff on stage, where do you stand on this? Because it's obviously stuff that's been cancelled this last kind of few weeks, things taken off streaming services. Um, where do yeah. you stand on it, Susan? I mean, well, with, with all the stuff that's been taking off streaming services, that comes down to sort of blackface or people, you know, yeah. pretending to be racist they're not. I've always felt that, found that stuff really gross. Even when Burst Selector first came out, I was like, why are you doing this to Mel B? I fucking love Mel B. Yeah. Like, why are you reducing these people to, to, to nothing more than this little skit? Which actually isn't even that funny. Yeah, um, Craig, David, Craig David really suffered. Yeah, I mean, Craig David's career suffered because of it. Like, and he, he was- a good sport about it as well. Like he even appeared in the show, but yeah. Yeah, was- I mean, and so, I mean, I guess there's two things. I think when it comes to that sort of stuff, I completely agree with all of that streaming stuff, but I think being, being taken off, I think that it's, I, I do find it really offensive. I also, you know, in a very different way, and it's not nearly as bad, but it's sort of similar to when David Walliams camps up. I'm always a bit like, oh, like, it's just, it's fine to be yeah, gay. Howard, it's not a Howard, joke. You know about this, Howard? Go on. So this is a issue, and I don't want to uh, straight explain anything. No, please do. But yeah, this is a something I was made aware of, as well as the issue of like blackface and some of the poor caricatures you saw in these shows. There's also this issue of David Williams doing like what is kind of called like gay face, whereby like as Susie said, it's this whole idea that there's still this kind of camp mystique about being closeted about your sexuality, and this oh I'll never tell, but maybe you can guess. And it's kind of like, yeah, as Susie said, it's like this is not like a new thing. Mm. What, what are you hiding? But it's this whole thing of like, yeah, camping up as if it, you know. Well, I also think it sort of suggests that um, that being gay, and I guess it's the same with pretending you're another race, that that's some sort of act that a white, straight, cis person can do. And I think, so that's, I guess that's sort of. It's patronising. And also it means, yeah. again, you're, and also it's one of these issues whereby, and it's the same issue I have with these other things, is that it's not just about the censorship and stopping these things from existing, it's that these exist, but the actual black comics don't exist. And it's the same way that, like, David Williams now has this, like, exist in these forefronts where he's giving, putting on this, like, kind of very pseudo-camp uh, attitude and fitting in this gay spot. It's like, you know what would probably be better than that? Why don't you just get a actual gay person to do the job? I also feel like people are getting angry about this, um, about like stuff being taken off streaming platforms. And like, you know, I'm thinking again about like angry people on Twitter and it's like, you're not really angry about this. You're just finding a way you, you, you're choosing to create some sort of anger. about. Like how often were you really watching little Britain? And also you were probably day? streaming it illegally anyway, or you've got it on DVD at the time. Like, it came yeah. out, you didn't have it then. You obviously aren't that big of a fan. That's the thing. And so I feel like that was, I mean, that ended up being in the press when more important things should have been in the press. Things get taken off of streaming sites 
I guess weekly even when people are like, oh, that's not got as many hits as it did. That one can go. A new know, thing goes up. That come fly with me was on Netflix. To be Do you know what I mean? Like things are going on and off streaming sites all of the time. This somehow made press because the press didn't want to cover stories that needed to be covered, and people just got angry about this stupid fucking like shows being taken also, off. Which... And also it's to drive division. So for the right wing press to kind of be like, look, they're taking away all of our things. What's next? First they take away Little Britain, then they're going to take away actual Britain. What's so? Yeah. But do you think, do you think that, Susie, do you think that material should be kind of uh, removed from society or do you think it, 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 it's up to people to choose? Because that's the big debate, right? It's kind of why I kind of wanted to ask you guys because it, 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 it's, it's, it's a matter of taste, obviously, but there are things that are clearly offensive to people. Uh, and I've got a list of some uh, to go through in a bit. Um, do you know what? I think that as a white person, it's not really my place to say whether I think it should be on a streaming site. I think mm. that if I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm listening, I'm learning, I'm, you know, following what people are saying on Twitter about it and different things like that. And I think if people are finding the suit, like, I don't feel like I need to have it. I find it gross. Yeah. But I don't think that anyone should be coming to me to ask but then, a white but then, yeah, I suppose, privilege. I suppose the kind of where, just to kind of ang- re-angle my question so it feels, sure, a, little yeah, bit, it feels a little bit broader is that is that when I'm saying, you know, how do we censor comedy, you know, I, I can I can bring up a, a, an incredibly famous um, stand-up show from Eddie Murphy that we all know, Raw, and it's, Raw, yeah. and it's incredibly offensive now. Let, let's yeah, just be honest, easy. right? So the, the kind of question is... How do we censor that? What do we do? Do we remove that? Do I, we... I don't think we have to censor it. I think for the those who create it, it's one of the questions of if you create something autonomously, you stand behind it as well. So like Little Brain doesn't have to disappear, doesn't have to be in any archives or be burned like it's the dark ages, but you have to take ownership of the fact that you depicted these caricatures and these archetypes in a poor way. And they do come across as very racist. And it's either you own it or you disown it. Like it's just very hard for me to believe that these guys weren't aware of what they were doing, especially because going back to the subject of football, I remember Matt Lucas being in the documentary where he was like, I support Brighton and Hove Albion and I don't like, and I find it offensive when I hear homophobic slurs coming from another team. And when people are like, yeah, but we're on the terraces, you know, it's lads and that. He didn't see that as an excuse, you know, because he feels like it's outdated and people should know better. So someone who understands that concept really has no excuse to be kind of making stuff where they know they're going to um, have vitriol for it. And you know what's weird? My first ever, ever Instagram post ever Hmm. was because I was in Double H Smith's and I saw a card with Matt Lucas in blackface playing a Caribbean woman in Come Fly With Me. And it's like, here, it's your birthday. And I was like, are you fucking serious? Like, how is this being sold? <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then, you know, fast forward how many years. But, then, but the Eddie Murphy thing, the, kind of just, I think maybe oh, that widens this conversation a bit. Is, is What do you think, Susie? Does that, that, that still be available for people? Or how do you, what's your take yeah, on it? Yeah, I think, I think that people can watch stuff. Like, you know, I, I have seen, I've, I've loved Eddie Murphy stuff. There's bits of, Raw that obviously I find quite offensive that I don't enjoy. Mm. You know, and I think that you can watch a comic and like a comic and not like some of their stuff. I saw Dave yep. Chappelle not so long ago. I really didn't like the anti-trans stuff. I felt there was stuff that was a bit homophobic in there. But, I mean, I think his new special is one of the... I mean, I don't know if you can call it a special, but the new... The best things... I've yeah, seen yeah, absolutely and I think that you know I think that you've got to watch things as a grown up adult person I think the, I think the issue is sometimes when younger people watch comics and they think that you know you get it even within comedians you know this yeah. like you know there'll be comics that'll be like he is the best comedian in the world he's like he's amazing if you, if you don't think he's brilliant you're wrong yeah. and I'm always amazed when comics say that because yeah. I'm like you you have to get it subjective. Like that means that if one person hates you, you need to give up. Hmm. Like that, how, how does that work? The same thing we're discussing is identity politics that people project and they take mm. over when they see an archetype or they see a phenomenon that they identify with is like, if you say you don't like it, you're saying you don't like me because people become so attached to these ideas. Mm. Like for example, I'm a great fan of Dave Chappelle, but if you don't like some of it, it doesn't mean I'm going to be like, well, Susan, I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. You know, we can still, get on, both enjoy comedy, both enjoy one another stuff and not take umbrage if you don't like something. For example, like I remember I was with Jen Brister at a gig and she was talking about, she was like, I don't really care for a lot of Bill Burr stuff. I like Bill Burr as a comic, but yeah. like, just because Jen doesn't like it doesn't mean my perception of Jen changes or I think what well, yeah, Jen... I mean, I'm the same. I'm not a massive fan of Bill Burr, but I'm sure Bill Burr wouldn't be a massive fan of the stuff I do. That's cool with me. <laughs> like... And this is why... 
exactly. That's, that's why, why it's I love comedy. Issues. Yeah, because it's all diverse, and you can learn yeah. about verses. But it, and 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 that's the issue is like for me, I'd say it's not the issue of censorship in this instance, so far as censoring art that already exists. For me, it's more the censorship of voices that you don't get to see. That is the real issue. So, mm-hmm. as, so when you, for example, sometimes when you look at like comics, and some comics do it better than others. Some comics do it very in a very lazy and hackneyed way, and they might make a race-related joke and be like, "Oh, white men are like this, and white men are like this." And you know, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's poignant, sometimes it's like it's very lazy. But one of the reasons those those jokes can continue is because if you are a white cisgender heterosexual man and you hear something that ridicules you, what you know is that when you leave that comedy club, that's not going to affect you in real life. Whereas if you are someone in the LGBT community, there's still a danger that if someone flippantly talks about like gay bashing, you can still be gay bashed. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. So like I said, so for me, it's like they could make a hundred little Britons if I knew that 500 black creatives of different types would be, be getting the same opportunities to accurately depict their journey and their life and their aesthetic as black Britons. But you yeah. don't get that in this country. I found it so interesting, sorry to cut you, uh, what you put on Twitter the other day about like the gap in... British comedy, yeah, British like black comics, and how there is just this. We've like, had a massive, is a massive, massive void, and the closest we've gotten is the Richard Pryor tattoo on Romush's arm, and him <laughs> having like a hip hop podcast. Or like the closest you get is that for most middle class Britons, it's like, oh, we can't really have a black person talking. But Catherine Ryan's got an American accent, and she likes Beyonce, and she does like the black kind of dances, and she's a single mum, so it's close enough. So mm. it's just it's just crazy to think when you look at acts like Richard Pryor and you look at people like Chris Rock and how excellently they have articulated race relations in the US and by that token have gotten themselves white fans and black fans. And then that means that white Americans, those who are open to it, have a reference point when they're yeah. like, OK, I can look at the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and see black affluence. Or I can look at, you know, mm. a show like, um, I suppose, like... Blackish? Different Strokes or Blackish and, you know, have a real more of a range of that aesthetic in America. Whereas here, it's like we've had Lenny Henry, who himself was an impressionist, who had white men writing for him. And then it's like, and you just think, you look at the, there's like five generations from like Dick Gregory being the first African-American on TV to up to this point now, where you've got like people like Hannibal Buress or people like Issa Rae doing Insecure, mm. you know, you or even someone like Lena Waithe, who is now both tra- blazing the trail, both for LGBT creatives, as well as black creatives, as well as oh, black women. Oh, I just... Right, her so much. Exactly. Watch anything that she does. Absolutely. So, so, so you have that in the states. But the the the, the thing that cultural and we've not had a sitcom. Sunny D was a sitcom with four episodes, and and that was the first one in twenty years. And before that, it's like, how how can you how how can you profess to be inclusive, and that doesn't even exist. And it's like. And especially because in Britain, we pride ourselves on our superiority in comedy so much and being so nuanced. But it's like, how can we miss this part where, you know, America goes from having, you know, they've had black comics quipping since the war up until the 21st century. And West and Lenny Henry not only is still the only most prolific black comedian in this country, even he's like, can I have some more opportunities, please? So, <laughs> But yeah. the thing that's interesting, just to kind of wind back slowly to that, that kind of the things that, that's been the censorship stuff that's been going on is I personally think stand-up can get away with a lot of stuff. I think there's, I think you kind of invest in people on stage in a different way to you do a, a, a sitcom. So the kind of, just to kind of get a, a bit of a sense before we move on to Dane's question is, so Del Boy, right? We all, we all, I assume, have enjoyed a bit of Only Fools and Horses as, as most people in Britain have. But Del Boy is racist, right? In, in, in Only Fools and Horses. Like, there's there's no way around that sentence. Go and look back over the episodes that are uncut, and he's racist to, to black and Asian people, and is homophobic, and is a misogynist. Yep. Yeah. But, but contextually, though, Howard, so to cut yeah. you there... This is what I'm asking. So what's, what's the status who, there? Someone right? who'd have that limited access to education or exposure to people at the time, I can understand why he make, make, make a few comments like that. In the same way that when I watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the archetypes in that show when they say stuff that sounds like they are in support of Trump or their right wing, it's like hmm. they've already created the context as to why that is. So, I mean, even though it's like, it's not necessarily about the acceptable racism, it's that when a white person in these shows says something racist on TV, because in that same paradigm of sitcom, that is not challenged by a black actor or their ideas are not challenged. Hmm. If you are somebody who is developing your image of black people based on what you see on TV, you're just going to see a bunch of black people, white guys that say these, make these off off kilter jokes and then you think it's okay just normalizes it 
if you see people behaving a certain way on TV, then of course, it's like when Ali G started saying this because I was black, every office I'm in, I have to listen to another person with a, who's not able to make original jokes say the same thing and regurgitate take the same thing. Or like mm. when K. Van Novak, he did Phone Jacker, again, he's got George Aguengo, so he's got an African character, but there are no African characters on TV. So if you are a white person in the UK and you live in a satellite town outside of a metropolis, or you don't even live in, you might live in Hampshire, but you don't live in Portsmouth, for example, right? If you don't see any black people where you live, you're only going to be able to think about how do I interact with these people and how do I develop an etiquette to speak to black people when I don't see them? So you see them on TV. So if you see white people being flippantly racist or mimicking black culture in a way that's terrible, or you don't have any frame of reference, all you're going to think is, well, if that's what you're supposed to do around black people, then that's what I do. So then now you create this whole uh, inhibition for most white people where they're like, the only time you see black people on TV is either if they're being parodied or if they're playing football, so they're not talking or they're complaining about racism. So if you were just a normal white person, you may not even be that particularly racist, but you're enjoying a very quaint life. And every mm. time you see a black person on TV, that person's pissed off because of racism. When you meet a black person now, you're thinking, well, how do I even break the ice with this person? What do I discuss? Can I talk about the weather? Do black people talk about the weather? <laughs> I've never seen it. Well, do I talk about horoscopes? Well, I've never seen black people talk about horoscopes, so I can't do it. So then like, I've had it from someone whose intention isn't to be racist. This person is doing what they normally do, trying to endear themselves, trying to rapport build. And at first he'd be like, hey, how you, how you doing? And blah, blah. And we can have a normal conversation outside of a gig. And then he'd just be like, oh, okay. Uh, uh. So my friend Winston, who just came back from Jamaica, not because he's racist, but because most people will form their narrative and their image about their reality based on the media. If the media is obscuring certain voices and people from your vision, you don't have to talk to them. If tomorrow a bunch of underground people that spoke... French appeared on our streets and they were all, they were like, we live underground. We've decided to come up above ground. You've never seen them before. You don't know how to speak to someone you've never seen before. You don't know how to interact with them. You don't know if they follow the same mm. kind of speech or voice patterns. So the issue I think about censorship isn't the censorship in terms of preventing these things from being seen. It's more the more insidious part of depriving those affected groups of the opportunity to have a counter narrative. That's the real issue, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and and also we may lose some of our favourite shows, right, Susie? Or I don't know how you feel, but... I'm not worried about it, to be honest. I'm not worried about any losing any of the shows. I think that what needs to happen now is more things need to be created. They need to come from more diverse voices. This is it. It's not about getting rid of stuff. It's creating more stuff. and comedy and everything. Let's look forward. Let's create a exactly. level playing field where people can have opportunities. People can be in writers' rooms. And do you know what? We've all seen enough of TV shows that have happened before. Let's create new, and re- exactly. better and stuff. That's the issue. If you're going to keep re- recreating old and recycling old formats, of course they're going to bring the same sensibilities because when you're making have you, Are You Being Served, there wasn't as many black people in the country as there is now. So when you try and remake it, and you're trying to go back to the same aesthetic, of course it's going to be kind of exclusive. So, Susie, I, t- I completely agree with you. It's mm. about going forward. Like, I don't need another Last of the Summer Wine. It was called the fucking last in the first place. Where's this wine coming from? <laughs> Um, well, thanks for answering the question, guys. I think, I think we could probably just talk about that one all day, really, couldn't we? But um, but sadly, we're going to have to move on to the final question, Dane. Uh, do you want to pose your one? I do, and it's um, it's so it's so weird that it became so pertinent to what we were discussing anyway. Because, um, yeah, Susie, you... Uh... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Came across a very good point in terms of pride. And the reason I wanted to ask about the whole thing about pride is obviously now, the words we established, the world is on fire now. Mm-hmm. And so again, uh, identity politics is becoming uh, a big part of global discussions. As I said before, like me, I'm trying to move away from concepts like pride for the same reasons we discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I wanted to ask, even though we have that context, what does gay pride mean to you? Being that it's this month as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, because I think I've noticed a lot of changes. And to give you just some context behind that, Last year, during Pride, Coca-Cola came up with rainbow-coloured cans of Coke. And, like, so there was a red cherry in it, and then the one had mango in it. And whoever's drinking mango and Coke, you're a fucking monster. But they basically did the rainbow flag of different colours. Then, like, Skittles were doing a thing, and Sainsbury's were doing a thing. And I was like, we have weirdly vocal about gay Pride that you never used to be before. So I guess I think... And you can take the question however you want, how, how ambivalent you want, whether it means, like, personally or, like, as a culture... Um, in 2020, particularly, what does it mean to you? Well, I guess, um, first of all, I think like the capitalization that's come along with Pride in the last decade, you know, it's, I don't like that side of Pride. Um, I think that Pride is still a protest. I think that choosing to live your authentic life is still... Um, it is still something that you should be very proud of. I think having a day where you can go and celebrate that, there's obviously the parade in London and then also UK Black Pride is always on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's really important that those things exist. I think there's a lot of things going on, basically. I don't like that all of these companies buy a float and are like, hey, look, Santander, we've got flags. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, why don't you stop trading in countries where homosexuality is yet to be decriminalised? That's how you can be an ally. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's my, I think it's still important that it exists. Like, so I've, I've got um, a couple of uh, podcasts. I'm on them, so they're a bit queer. And I get a lot of emails and messages from young queer people, LGBTQI+, who are still having a hard time. I've, I, get, I, got, I get letters from people that live in countries where homosexuality is yet to be decriminalised. Mm-hmm. I had some back and forth going from um, a person that lived in an African country who would always email me from a different email address because they didn't want anyone to see it, so they'd set up an email address to talk to me because they were desperate to create a sense of community. Um, because of the the podcast that I've got. And so in that respect, I think it's really important that it exists and we can see it and we can be vocal and we can say, you know, the the thing last year for Pride was love happens here. And I like that. I think that's really nice. I think it's really positive. One thing I hate about Pride is how it's become sort of commercialised and also that it ends up being some event where loads of sort of young women generally, and I'm sure young men as well, who are straight, just get hammered on the street and become a mess mm-hmm. and a nightmare and embarrass all the gays. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I finally said it, Susie. Stop embarrassing the gays. We came, we wore pressed shirts, we all had, our, our trainers were looking very nice, box fresh. Exactly. You know how we do? Yeah. We make an effort. What is this? Exactly that. Get that to your straight carnival. Exactly. I'm wearing feathers. Come on. Come on, buddy. You can, do, you can do that at wireless. You're not doing that here. Exactly. So I feel like it is important. It is important to me. I've had a real journey with pride. When I first came out, I was like, why am I going to be proud of being gay? It's not a massive part of me. Why do I care? And, got, was, and, and it was, you know, a lot of internalized homophobia. It took me a while to navigate that. Um, but now I think that it's important. I think it should be still a protest. I think that the main thing that we should be thinking about if we're marching at Pride is that there's still 72 countries where it's illegal to be gay. There's still 11 where it's punishable by death. Um, 11? 11, yeah. Or maybe it's gone down to 10. It's There's a couple of Saudi countries that are like, it is, it's not, it is, it's not. Does that include Russia? I think it's, it's, still, it's illegal in Russia to be um, openly gay because you're seen yeah. as promoting an, a queer lifestyle, but it's a queer, a gay a homosexual lifestyle. So I think that, yes, it's important that Pride exists, but it shouldn't be about, you know, it, there can be part of it that's about hot guys in thongs dancing. Yes, that can be a part of it, but I think 
the important bit of it is connecting with people within our community who are oppressed. And that can be people even within our own country yep. and it, within London. You know, it, you think of it as this cosmopolitan bubble. It, it, there's still people that, you know, will experience a lot of homophobia. Absolutely. Um, and also, you know... Sorry to cut you, know, you I wanted to ask as well, sorry, because obviously... I have noticed where it seems that people have become more au fait with LGBTIQ plus culture is predominantly among, within the industry, the performing arts industry, but mm-hmm. a lot of the patrons of these industries are middle class. Mm-hmm. Would you say amongst the working class who I think culturally are still rooted in more Judeo-Christian ideas and like we said, more classic ideas of gender, has that has that changed as well? And I think it's also important, you made a good point about Pride is a protest. It's not about, oh, I'm like I said, what about being proud about? But it's about this is this is not pride so far as saying that, you know, again in the same way, I'm proud of something I didn't really have any control over. It's more mm-hmm. the fact that we are protesting that we have the right to our existence and pursuit of happiness in spite of a uh, existence of a system which tries to suppress us. That's mm-hmm. what that pride is. It's not the same as just because people are like, why can't we have straight pride? Because no one's trying to kill you for being straight. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but yeah, I just want to say that in terms of like the pride thing is that, is that something that is being able to permeate the intersectionality within that community? Because you could also argue, for example, right. And and again, I don't really know about this, but it's like you probably have experienced more than me where you may have, I guess, some lesbians who would refer to themselves as uh, feminists, Mm -hmm. but I might be trans exclusionary uh, radical feminists. And it's kind of like, so because you know, the gulf between the lifestyle of maybe someone who may be trans versus mm-hmm. someone who is living out as a lesbian yeah. is an enormous one. It, oh, it's, it's, it's as far apart as like me being a straight man and obviously you being a lesbian woman. It can be that, but they're grouped together under the same acronym. So I'm saying, yeah. is, there, is, is there like, what is the situation so far as like, I guess all of the interest groups within that mm-hmm. um, title, is that you find that's quite harmonious? Is that improved? Is there any changes in that dynamic there at all? So I'm... Um, I, I absolutely think the trans community are part of the LGBT um, plus community. I think that we are stronger together um, and I absolutely stand sort of, you know, in solidarity with, you know, trans people. Um, I think that there is uh, there is arguments going on within the queer community at the moment. There's people that are, I think, sort of second wave feminists who feel like trans women are taking up their space. I I think I think the issue is is that women aren't getting enough space. Then if trans women take some of your space, it feels like you have even less space. What we need to work towards is equality between men and women. Which is the same thing we're talking about just now, is that I mean obviously being trans, I mean, is not the equivalent of like, you know, black face or, or woman face or like that. But what we're saying is that obviously is that like you said it is uh for a famous, wealthy trans woman like Caitlyn Jenner to mm-hmm. become woman of the year. For me, at the risk of being controversial, is somewhat, uh, I think, is a kick in the face to women in general. I only say this because I wasn't even made aware of that award until he, until she won it. And then, like, for me, it's kind of like, and I've, and you maybe you can help me with this because I've been met with quizzical looks whenever I say this on stage. Mm-hmm. Is that while, like I said, completely support uh, trans community, idea of gender reassignment, however you want to live or express yourself, want to go on record as saying I'm in all I care about our souls in it but what I'm saying is when we have discussions and I'm sure I'm making it simplifying where someone's like on the inside I've always felt like a woman I don't know when we've had a social state where we've even allowed women to give an account of themselves that we would know how women think does that make sense okay so with the Caitlyn Jenner thing for me that comes down to wealth so that is a white person who has a lot of money to have the to have the surgery to look like they are, that they're trying to look like they're a cis woman. Yeah, okay. hyper, hyper feminine cis woman, yeah, yeah. So I, so my issue with that is that it's someone that is super wealthy who has so much privilege being woman of the year. If it was Munro Bergdorf that won woman of the year, who is a, you know, someone that, I don't know how wealthy Monroe is, but I mean, you know, but is not someone- Wealthy and looks, uh-uh. But, yeah, totally. But also not someone. She means she's not a Kardashian. She's she doesn't. She's not part of the Kardashians. No, she's not Kardashian money. Um, and you know, and I would have, I would be totally pro that. I think that I think trans women are women, and they can win Women of the Year. I think that I want someone that has done something 
I don't know. I, I don't think that someone that's got that much money whose life is like so, I mean, you, want, you, want, you, you think it's, it's somebody that's had to walk a track because there's no other means of income, right? You know, somebody that's had to, had, to, had to fight men off, like, you know, you know. I think that, that, that it's, I think it's a difficult one. I think that, you know, I think that trans people have it, are having it very, very hard at the moment. I think there's a real hatefulness for trans people that is totally... And a, real, a real air of ridicule and stuff as well. Yeah, and, and the government are completely fucking them after they said that they wouldn't. And I think that it's, I think that it's a scary time for, um, for trans people. Absolutely. And I think that as someone who is, you know, very vocal in my community, I, I you know, I, I stand up for trans people. I think trans women are women. I think trans men are men. I think non-binary people exist. And I think that what we need to do is move towards a society where... Oh, man, because it's always existed. Like, we've never... Like, in the 80s, like, androgyny was never a madness. Well, like, I mean, in, in Indian... Like, you know, certainly talking about non-binary, people get very angry about it. But, like, in... There's South American cultures that have had it for like hundreds and hundreds of years. Same within Indian cultures. In, in comic, like in, I seen that shit in comic books. Like the character called Ram the Half is a, a mango, and it like when he has hot water, it turns into a woman, and cold water turns back into a dude. Like no one goes crazy over that shit. Or in Thailand, I mean, you know, with trans, where they historically would be called lady boys, but like you know, a lot of people in Thailand believe it's just another cycle of reincarnation. I mean, I think that's the thing. And so I don't know if I can't remember what your other question was. Did that answer? <laughs> well, you, definitely, you, definitely, you definitely answered it. But um, can, I ask, can I ask you if about the issue of privilege with Caitlyn Jenner rather than the issue of like championing a cause? Um, because prior to that, like, I don't think Caitlyn Jenner was particularly vocal about trans issues. But that being said, so she didn't really stand up for trans rights. She didn't stand up for oppressed people. And yeah. for me, that ain't someone that's woman of the year. Yeah. Her transness doesn't matter. Exactly. Right. If, you, if you're not gonna, if, if your president, if your president says there's no trans allowed in the military, and you're not saying fuck that president, then yeah. no. And also, I think like I'm so fucking sick of people going for the only part of equality that suits them. Like you can't be, you know, pro LGBT but not be and, and be not anti-racist. It's like you either in, if you if your equality doesn't include everyone, then your equality is fucked. Yeah, it's, it's, so I don't want no part of it. Exactly, because I mean, even because like I know there's been a massive emphasis where I've attended Black Lives Matter protests to include the fact that Black trans lives matter as well. Because you know, black the killings in America is trans just people die in their droves, and trust me, like it's almost seen like, the whole idea about attacking a trans woman is seen as normalized because like it's like if you are attracted to a trans woman and it's like then are you gay? And rather than people rationalize their own sexual identity or be like, well, you know, you just, someone looks very attractive. It's not a big deal. Get over it. Like people, because they are that ashamed of or so much, so much internalized self-hatred or, or maybe sometimes even late in homosexuality, they kill all these trans people. It's fucking crazy. Now, Dane, do you think that Dave Chappelle should stop doing anti-trans stuff on stage now? I think if it empowers people to have hatred towards trans people, then I wouldn't recommend it. But you know, but then I may just have a bias and I feel like maybe he's dynamically kind of going through it. But then, like I said, now, if you take into account that if people, if he's empowering people to harm trans people, then I will say as much as I love Dave Chappelle, he shouldn't do that. But no, but it, it's good though. You should, it should be challenged. I, I think it should be challenged because like you said, question everything, Dane. Eh? It's, it's question everything. I'm not, I'm not affected by some of his musings on it. And even sometimes he's like, you know, trans people come to watch the shows and the like, and, you know, and people enjoy it and stuff. I think for me, it's like if someone from that community is saying it's not popping for us, then it's like better off not doing it because the intention isn't to, uh, it shouldn't be the intention really, it shouldn't to be offend or, you know, like I said, punch down. It's just not, even artistically, it's not really a good thing. Cause it's like, for example, I got stripper material, but if strippers themselves or people that have done sex work don't think it's a good bit, then for me, it's not a good bit. Cause I'm writing it because more than anybody, people from that interest group should be able to enjoy it more than anybody else. So I'm trying yeah. to talk about the nuance of something where I've spoken to like comedians who are like former strippers and stuff. And like, if, as long as they get it, I don't really give a shit because mm. it means I'm trying to make an accurate observation. So I mm. think, yeah, if anything else, if Dave Chappelle's observations or musings about the trans community aren't accurate, it can't necessarily be that good. Doesn't mean that Dave Chappelle is not the guy still, but he, you know, he's wrong on that one. He's, I, yeah. I've never said that he's, but, he's. He's wrong on that one, but but you see again, as I say, when you don't see people being able to define and articulate their own existence in mainstream media, 
then it leaves it open for people to start making their musings about, you know, trans people being like, I think it's funny if a woman wants to be a man. And it's like, there's so much more nuance of course. to the mind state of so many people who become trans or whatever their transition is. That is not just someone being like, I want to look like a woman. Like, even even when you, you know, there's intersectionality of gender dysmorphia and there's, there's just too much and too many people for you to have a homogenized narrative for the trans community. That's what I believe in it. So that's why I say, go back to the same thing as like Dave Chappelle, comes across as ignorant. And I and I believe part of that ignorance comes from the fact that this is a group of people who do not have the opportunity to be out and comfortable in who they are and articulate mm. their journey and their plight the on, for that. on the platform. Yeah, so that's what we need. The, so the platform, and that's why it's always important for representation because then it doesn't need this gateway open to miscommunication or ignorance, wherever it's benevolent or otherwise. Well, and it's just got to come from, I don't know, to me love and respect you know and, and, and an attitude that isn't uh, just a desire to be um to break people up and and to, yeah. and, to and to create you know, if you can't do it in that liberal fashion then look at it from this right-wing perspective if someone wants to be a woman it doesn't make you calm or go hungry so what the fuck do you care <laughs> even if you're not capable of the empathy then think to yourself if someone comes out as gay or straight or bi your money doesn't change you don't have to pay more tax so what the, why do you give a fuck I also you. think if you're having real trouble finding empathy, maybe call a therapist. Mm. Yeah, because it could be the problem within yourself. And, and, and mm. it's, it's such a weird thing. A lot of the time you find most people who have this is from the, some, their own internalised self-hatred. You have to be a hurt person to hurt people is what I say. Sorry, Howard. I also think that the way forward with all of this stuff is communication. I feel like so many people that have loads and loads of opinions on trans people on the internet I feel like they've never met a trans person. I'm of course really they haven't. Of course they haven't. Because the way they talk, the way they tell it is like trans people are like climbing Watch through the gates. Like, Watch yourself. Like, they're acting like it's like I am legend. Like people are climbing through the gates at nighttime, sliding down <laughs> lampposts, <laughs> running towards you, banging on doors, being like, you got any lipstick? It's not like that. I mean, and like the bathrooms, people going on about the bathrooms. First of all, there is basically no attacks in bathrooms. Like you look at the data, there's basically, there's been like one or two. They, those men were rapists. They were rapists. And also, have you been in a woman's toilets? We have doors. Yeah. Right? Also, also, where, where have you been in a men's toilet? No one wants to stay in there. Where, where is a sign on a door? Stop someone. That's not going to be the thing that stops them. Thank you. And no one's ever going to be like, oh, I smell piss. Is that perfume? Oh, well, it's getting in here. That's never <laughs> been something anyone said ever. And like you said, no one's ever looked at a sign and gone, nah, my one kryptonite, no raping today. Oh, well, back to the club. Um, not something- what, what, what a question. And what an episode that is. I mean, those three subjects, we could have just done a whole hour on just each one of those, right? Oh, Wait, absolutely. Tell you what. Dane, I could chat to you for hours, mate. Well, here's how we can make it happen, Susie. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you about your new podcast and then hopefully I can be a guest and we will continue the conversation. There's an issue with you being a guest on the new podcast because it's about people's coming out journeys. Oh. <laughs> You're more than welcome to come on the show. It would be my privilege to do that for you. It would be a Holly Willoughby to your Philip Schofield. That could be. You know what? It could not that I want to take to run your own show, but, uh, you know, historically I come from a community that's not necessarily been that comfortable with people coming out. So I can make sure about my experiences because a lot of my friends have come out recently mm. and a lot of them, I've been like, why didn't you tell me? And a lot of them have been like, I didn't think you'd accept it. We had and Dean Atter been- on the show, right, Dan, and you were talking about this and how people... Yeah. Have, have, have you know have told you about their you know yeah, I've had a weird thing where a lot of the time I've met people particularly black members of the LGBT community who have been standoffish at first because they had a preconception of who they thought I was going to be mm-hmm. they've got them to know me they know that I don't give a shit about that kind of stuff yeah I am a narcissist obsessed with my own success so <laughs> yeah. I do have a new podcast it is true and if you're interested it is it's called Out with Susie Raffle it's me chatting to people about uh, the journey from coming out to sort of um, living their life openly and happily and how they did that. So I've got um, Oscar winner Dustin Lance Black is mm. on one of the episodes. Tom Allen and Joe Lysett, who we know from comedy. Uh, Baroness Ruth Hunt. Um, Sophie Duker. Uh, a guy called Mohsin Zaidi, who uh, grew up as a Shiite Muslim and his journey. So it's lots of different people talking about lots of stuff. Um, it's full of love and it's full of hope and um 
the first series is out now and if people want to check it out that'd be cool guys you should get definitely that, guys, check, it out. check that out it's pride month best time guys and, and, and also we also would like to uh, say as well to those uh if there are any of our lgbt listeners who are still within the closet just want to know that you are loved and accepted it's okay to be who you are and if you want to learn more about yourself then yeah check out susie's um podcast or send in questions to us and we will do our best to uh refer you with as much information and support as possible and also i'm gonna just say because we may not have mentioned it much but if you happen to have the chance in the new world to see Susie live you're in for a treat whether it's your her own show or she's um, appearing at a night it's well well worth seeing her live she's amazing absolutely and are you people blind look at that shirt all right exactly Make sure you dress, well, dress well for that show so you don't embarrass Susie and everybody else yeah you if you have if you've not dressed up you will be asked to leave so. <laughs> yes. I don't well, care if I go give money back I'm only playing to people that that's fine and, 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 and if you don't like that you have to find some of yourself some frumpy unfunny comedian guys <laughs> Um, so just and on that bombshell um, yes I just want to say Susie always a pleasure um, good to see you looking well and glowing during lockdown thank you so much for being on the podcast um, it was my absolute pleasure I would love to come back really interesting conversation and uh, yeah it was a pleasure to be asked and a pleasure to be on it thank you mate we will make it happen and uh, happy pride month to all of our LGBT listeners and to yourself Susie and uh, I'd like to end the podcast by saying black trans lives matter you've been listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything Hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTiste. Our guest was Susie Ruffle. You can follow Susie on Twitter at Susie Ruffle or on Instagram at Susie Ruffle Comedy. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Decode. You can follow D on Twitter and Instagram at official decode. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember, question everything. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.